Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. This episode is a special edition brought to you by the Ambitious Filmmaker Virtual Summit, where we interview Tiff Tyler, Trent Irwin, Robert T. Garden, Josh Emmerich, and Bryant Walker, five former podcast guests in a roundtable setting where we dive deep into the tips, tricks, and strategies to growing and sustaining your video business. Welcome to the Ambitious Filmmaker Podcast. So awesome. let's just dive right into it. So Tiff, this was something that was asked during your presentation, but we didn't have time. So it was LA based, but I'm gonna make it a little more general. Uh, so what are some tactics that you guys use to gain a foothold in saturated areas or markets of the film industry? And, and how can those filmmakers in different markets use their own time to build better relationships? Um, so kind of what Bryant mentioned, I think he called it BDI, like going to these business events that, um, have nothing to do with what you're doing. So I didn't do this consciously. It just kind of happened, but it worked really well. Instead of going to events with a bunch of filmmakers who were also looking for work, I went to events with businesses who were looking for people to help them with advertising and creativity. And so I did what I kind of mentioned in my presentation. I always ask people, who are you passionate about? And I did my best to not get 10 to 15 business cards. For me, it wasn't quantity, it was depth. So I needed to have this person know me so well that if an opportunity came up, they would remember me. And how I got my biggest contract with the School of Greatness was someone who I met a month beforehand. We had a very long conversation at a, biz a free business event. And when she introduced me to him through email, she knew my whole life story. Uh, she, we were really listening to each other. So that's what I would say. Ask a very good question. Get to know the person and how you can support them, not just what they can do for you. And go to events where people are looking to hire, not necessarily all the same people who all want the same jobs. That would be my answer. But Tiff, we're in COVID times. How can you keep reaching out to people and building a network when we don't have events to go to? <laughs> Good question. <Yeah>. Online. <laughs> I mean, I think I've seen so many Facebook groups grow. And I'll be honest, I've, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and influencers who are scared to brag about this, but their businesses grew because more people were online and actually networking in their memberships and their events. Uh, they their, their businesses grew because more and more people wanted to connect but couldn't do it in person. So... There's still a lot of free Facebook events. There are a lot of cool memberships that you can join, but really just getting into places that, and not just about creators, but about the businesses who want to hire creators, especially when you want to be able to live off of it. You want people who can afford a higher price tag. Um, and so, yeah, I would say you can still free do some free networking events online, Facebook groups, just meet as many people as you can. So I, I think I just love, Tiff, what you were talking about. It, it, I'm such a... So I'm a part-time professor as well. And so especially in like the entrepreneurial creative space and a question that I get asked a ton are related to this. Like, how do I cultivate opportunity? I'm a massive believer that opportunities drive business ideas, stay in the garage, so like execution is the game, right? But how do you cultivate those opportunities? Networking is important in any industry period. Like if you're a real estate agent, you're a banker, you're whatever it is, it is exponentially more important in our business. And being that that's the case, we have to play, we're, we're a very social industry. Like we like to meet and go to drinks and have fun. Like that's just how we kind of formulate these relationships. And I think that 
a lot of us can echo these sentiments, at least to a certain degree, most of the time we're working with or leads come from people that we know and have a relationship with. And so, I mean, I, I haven't really gotten any significant contracts that haven't come from a friend first that then created that opportunity, right? So mm -hmm. leaning on the button of what you said in terms of quality over quantity, I don't think I could think of something I, I echo more than what you just said. Like I'd never be the person that's just going to event and flinging business cards at people like ninja stars. Like that is just the most distasteful, transparent way of trying to approach this. My objective is like one or two really significant connections where you, like you said, you have an actual legitimate human conversation with them of like, you know, do they have a dog? Are they a family person? Where do they come from? What's their interest? What's their favorite car? Like just getting to a place where you're asking the who, what, why, where, when as a creative hack on how to engage in those conversations and teasing out information from that person until you find a common thread that you both can kind of link up on and have a conversation through. Mm -hmm. And then you continue to move that game forward and go, you know, let me connect on Instagram. Let me connect with you on LinkedIn. Let's, you know, give me your email so that we can, you know, not in a invasive way, uh, but, but continue to have that conversation. And I think nowadays, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have these subtle ways of continuing to engage in a conversation like DMs, like instant message, like a LinkedIn messenger, those right. sorts of things, where that creates a very non-abrasive touch point, you know, instead of just picking up a phone call and, and ruining my creative flow, like I can answer you at my leisure and we can, you know, send funny emojis and shit back and forth to each other, but you're extending and building that relationship. And to, again, to your point, wanting really nothing in return other than formulating and, and adding value to that mm -hmm. person's life, right? And I think those two things, quality over quantity and lead from a place of adding value rather than trying to be a taker. Cause that guy, especially in our industry, we see that person a mile away and, and I try to avoid them at all costs. The, the takers are the worst, but amazing, amazing way to say that. For sure. For sure, and I, I agree. I think some of the best, and I think for me, Simon's like this networking events or these business groups, but I think uh, for me to chime in for a second, I remember I went to a coffee shop opening once and I was just chatting with some of the people there. And I think it really is just expressing genuine interest in other people. Just just genuine conversation, no agenda. And then inevitably it comes up, oh, well, what is it that you do? I'm like, oh, I'm. I do video and filmmaking. And then all of a sudden, the next day, like, oh, well, let me get your email. And then a couple of days later, connecting and you're chatting. And what was just a pleasant conversation becomes a business opportunity. So value adding through authenticity and just being genuinely you and expressing genuine interest always. That's great. Yeah. And it's okay if you're an introvert. Like, I know. Thank you. Like, Thank you. <laughs> When you mentioned Meyer Briggs, INFP right here, uh, it took a while for me to build up, but I would use tactics. Like I kind of mentioned my presentation, I would have, once we get back to in-person events and everything, but I would have my camera on me. I would just kind of like try to figure out ways to get people to come to me sometimes until I got more and more comfortable with approaching people. But I would find the wallflowers, like knowing that I'm a wallflower. If you just find that person in the corner or the person that's not speaking that much, you end up having a really in-depth conversation because they're just as shy as you are. So you don't have to necessarily be extroverted or really be good at 
having big groups and conversations with a lot of different people, one-on-one interaction really does make a difference. Throwing it out there for my introverts. You, you know, and one thing on the introverted note that I've always found too, because I'm very introverted. A lot of people find that very surprising, but I, I think introverts have a really uh, distinct advantage, or at least for myself, is like we have a great bullshit detector. So when it comes to givers and takers, you know, we don't like those shallow conversations. We want to go deep. We want to understand how we can add value to you, how we can build that relationship. And introverts, yeah, I'm going to be really quiet. I don't want to talk about the weather. I don't want to talk about small, low level things. I want to understand your goals. I want to understand your challenges. And I think even in this like whole, like, you know, the internet has made the world small. So the network is really even easier, whether that's reaching out to a client or whether that's reaching out to other creatives, like the information is out there. It's easier than ever to connect with other people. And then, you know, for me, what's always like kind of helped me at these networking events or getting into the market is like not just looking at who my audience is, but looking at my audience's audience. If I'm working with musicians to to develop a music video, it's not my job to know the musician. It's my job to know the musician I'm working with audience so I can deliver a project that is actually on brand for their audience. And as video creators, it's so much more than getting to know that client. It's getting to know their audience as well. That's smart. Uh, just throw on top of that sometimes like you know clubhouse if i'm speaking on clubhouse in a particular event or something because i have interviewed a lot of cool people i'm like if i see any of the speakers or the moderators i'll go into their instagram accounts and see who they're following and if i notice that i've interviewed anyone they're following then when it's my turn to get on stage and ask a question when i introduce myself i'll mention the names that they know right because they it's like i don't know who they know or what they know but it it creates an immediate Mm -hmm. connection and that works for me nine times out of ten just doing that quick who are they following? Who do they like? And do I have anything in common with them that I can mention quickly, fill the connection, and then I can keep going? I don't need to like talk about myself too much, right? I've already hit like home with somebody. So that's a really good point. Clubhouse is a really fun way to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think when it comes to like connecting with people, no matter what area you're in, what location you're in, um, just from from a journalist background, uh, if you're an introvert, I'm I'm not so much an introvert. I'm more of an extrovert. But if you want to build a relationship with somebody off the bat, and you're not even comfortable like sharing all of your stuff first, one of the best ways to just to get things opened up is just ask really good questions. You know, ask ask somebody else really good questions. I mean, that immediately gets them talking, and the more that they're talking and sharing about themselves, the more that you're actually building trust in that situation. Uh, we we all know the people that you know. You go to like you said, like a networking event or just any event. You hate the person who walks in and immediately just starts talking about themselves. You hate the person who just immediately starts sharing all the cool things that they're doing, you know, and just starts lavishly talking about their life, you know, but they, they don't ever make any space or any room for anybody else. So just one of the best ways that you can, you know, enter into a space and really get to know people is just ask questions, listen to what they're saying, and then ask follow-up questions from that. So just constantly ask them questions. Asking, you might think that asking somebody questions is like uncomfortable for them, but honestly, it doesn't matter whether you're extroverted or introverted, like we're all inside of our bodies, like we're all thinking about ourselves. And so like when we're allowed and given the opportunity to talk about ourselves, it feels good, you know? So like really, if you just want to, like somebody you don't know, if you're scared, literally just go in and just start asking questions about them and listen to their responses and their answers and ask follow-up questions based on, on what they're giving you. And I promise you after 10 minutes, you, you guys will like will start to have a connection, um, and like 
uh, like Robert was saying, like make sure that you're, you're not trying to get something from that every single time. You're not going into it thinking like, I'm trying to make a transaction happen, but literally you're just going in like, I just want to get to know that person better. I just want to ask good, genuine questions and I just want to listen to them and find out what's going on. And it's crazy what, what can happen just by asking a multitude of questions. So what if you're doing the work, but you're not getting the jobs or the projects that you want? There, there's some element that's missing. You know, your, your process may be on point, but maybe your approach to clients may be off. Your approach to clients may be cool, but you may come off as arrogant or aggressive. Your, like, you may be solid on your approach and you may have humility in your walk, but then you may, not, you may be, you know, so much so that you're shooting yourself in the foot or like, oh, well, you know, just the way that you're talking about is lacks confidence, right? You're, softer business skills, your bids might be not uh, flushed out well enough. Like I, I remember early on for me, now I line item everything. I went through a process where I just said, here, this is the price for this job. And it was one line item. And I would start to approach like upper echelon clients, like, you know, more and more money that was on the line. Um, and I would continuously fail on the bid process, not even continue the conversation. And the reason was I just wasn't as an all in one, it was really difficult for me to express what my value was. So the client thinks I'm just getting a video. They don't understand that I have to pre-production the video. I got to shoot it. I got to edit it. I got a color correction, sound design, music licensing. I've got like, there's so many other elements to go through that process. So again, go back to a self-reflection standpoint, tap your network, um, ask the question, say, this is my process, you know, formulate a conversation with one of us and say, is there a way for you to look at my process? Because I feel like my quality is there, but I'm not landing the actual gigs themselves to dovetail off of the last conversation that we were having. Like maybe you're, you're all of those things are on point, but you're just not in a place where you can generate the opportunities that are allowing you to work. And so your network is slim and you need to bolster your connections and your relationships to afford you the luxury of having things to bid on. And I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's like work works when nothing works, but it's not just simply get out there, shoot, edit, put the content out and, and that's it. Like there's so many other things. And again, I think this is what separates the business of being a creative from somebody that's just having a bang an Instagram profile. Like I know people that have hundreds of thousands of people following them on Instagram, they can't pay their rent. I would much rather be in a place where, where I'm at, which is I don't give a shit about the clout. What I want is, can I continue to impact the people that are writing the checks and so it's figuring out that back end side of the business which is nine times out of ten there's there's small tweaks. you're probably not that far off but it's small tweaks that you need to make to convey what value you're bringing to the table um you know to make sure that you're being a, a nice authentic person you know josh you're talking about this too is like i, I just i want to work with like great people you may not have to be the best person at the thing that you do. Like, I don't need the best DP, the best editor, the best AP. Like, I just need people that I know I can count on, lean in with. And when we're all in the trenches, because we all know what production looks like, I'm not, I don't want to throw that person off the second story of the building. Like, I need them to be a part of, you know, the people that I call family, you know? So for sure, it's small, it's small tweaks, but you got to like be reflective and see exactly what part of your process and, and lean on people with a little bit more experience to help reveal what those things might be. Oh, yeah. I was just going to even add one thing that changed me is I had a whole shift in mindset of <clears throat> instead of thinking like you're like, I realized that like our art is only determined like its value is determined by its purpose. So mm -hmm. if you don't have a clear understanding of your purpose and what you're creating, you're going to work really hard and create almost like 
meaningless things to other people, but it'll be important to you. Right. And you'll think that because of the time and effort that you put in, that you've been putting in the work, but you haven't been putting it towards the purpose that matters to someone else. Right. You know, it's like I, I use the example of like a wedding. I feel like bakeries have mastered creative business because they like a wedding cake charges by slice and it's the most expensive event that you'll probably ever spend money on and you can upsell everything. There's rich people there for referrals. It's that whole mindset. But if you were just making cakes just to make cakes and you were like making amazing cakes and you're like, oh, it's just not working. People don't want cakes. They're they're cheap. It's like, how did you position yourself? Are you becoming the dream client for them? Are you becoming the dream video company? Like if you put yourself like what I did is I put myself in their shoes and said, what is the nightmare video business? All right. And write out all those things. What are what are what are, what are the worst things that they are afraid of? And then what's the dream? Well, that this video works. It tells my story. I feel amazing. I don't know. There's a clapperboard on set, right? You create this really amazing experience, right? And then I became that dream. And then I said, who do I want to be that dream for? Like dating, right? Like, who am I going to be freaking Stefan or Kel if you watched Family Matters instead of Steve Urkel for, right? <laughs> when you do that, now you're like working less. And now it's like, I feel like it, it, for me, when I switched, like when I got a Goodwill, I was like, I was listening. And that's been a reoccurring thing here of like, am I really, have I even chose who I want to attract? That's the first step. And then once you chose that, am I listening? Mm. Then once you listen and it's like, okay, now I can do the work and you'll find out whatever that piece is that you need to change because we have the internet. I, one thing I did is I looked at all the like one star reviews on Reddit of people who worked with agencies. <laughs> And that's how I chose to be the opposite of that. And then I could speak to every client's pain point because I read every horrible Reddit agency story. <laughs> and I made my sure that my business was the opposite of that. That's smart. And just maybe another uh, perspective here too. If you're trying to get work in something you haven't filmed yet, then film it for free. Yep. So for me, uh, I had never done a three camera podcast interview, anything. Right. And now I was getting hired to do it full time. Uh, what I did as a part of my um, when I submitted my, I guess, resume uh, for the job for the School of Greatness, I also downloaded a bunch of interviews that Lewis already had on his YouTube channel. And I made a less than two minute mashup of people asking, what's your definition of greatness? I created something that was his content that was for him that he could use. He posted it before he got back to me and it got like 30,000 views in like the first 24 hours. And at that time, five years ago, he didn't have a big following necessarily like he has now. So it showed him that I could create something that his audience wanted, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are maybe, maybe you're doing a particular set of videos that you wanna do something else, like you wanna do a different kind, what can you do to create for that person to show them that you can add value to what they're doing or that you have some kind of experience in filming something similar? Um, I learn most of what I do on the job every time it's something new. So you can't really like expect to be an expert. But I will say if you could do something free to show them the value that you're going to add and you're, that might help you get work in a particular part of the industry that you're not getting work in. Something to even piggyback off of that point, though, um, is even if you're doing like spec work, free work, whatever you want to call it, um, something that I've done when I'm when I'm doing that free work for someone is to also just like create a valuation 
document, whether like a proposal, but something that when I actually add those deliverables over and send those to the client, they actually have a perceived value of what it looks like to work with me in the future. So even if it doesn't like turn into something right away, they at least understand the value that I'm bringing to them and what my perceived time payment, whatever that may be. Even if they don't hire me now, they can make a more professional recommendation that feels like, yeah, he's just like, he does free work, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, oh no, he does quality work. Here's something he did for me. And he Here's what that actual value is. So you're actually setting up even your client to be, you know, a salesperson for yourself. So doing free work is fine, but I think also adding that layer of valuation to kind of show this is what I'm worth goes a long way. Absolutely. Totally. Leading with value. I feel like that was a common theme through all of you. Leading with value uh, in its various ways. And the last thing I'll add before we go into the next question is if you are putting in the work and you're not really seeing the projects you want. Sometimes leading with value also starts in the inside. Are you a good person to work with? Are you mm -hmm. someone that people want to spend 10 hours a day with, 12 hours a day? Are you personable? So on top of the skill sets, which as we know are critically important, we've also talked a lot today about trends and tangibles, uh, communication, all these other things that create a well-rounded business and a well-rounded person to spend time with and to and to work with. So start internally, reflect inward. Am I someone? If the production is there, is the personability there as well? So that's just something to reflect upon if you find yourself in this particular situation. So moving on to the next question, we were asked, what do you do if clients are late on a payment? <laughs> Fire them. Have you turned in the work yet or you still have the work? <laughs> that that that's my first response back. I oh go ahead right ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say you know set your structure be structure oriented with your clients like if you set for me I don't even care if I get the deliverables or if payment or anything like that I'm just hyper clear and forward with my clients like right off the the discovery calls, like there, you can do a retainer agreement with me or you can do a 25, 50, 25 payment. I make it very, very simple. I mean, I even have a blog on this, the art of the invoice. Before 2017, we'd have thousands of dollars, you know, not received by the end of the year. And since we started getting very strict with our structure, we haven't had a single late payment. And I've delivered things before I've even had final payment. The last thing I ever want is an is like a hostage situation mm -hmm. with our our collecting of payment. I want to trust my client. I want my client to trust me. If someone's going to be late on payment, I even tell them like, if you just let me know ahead of time, that goes a long way because it's not just about me collecting that payment. It's about me. Giving getting my vendors paid, about getting my freelancers paid, and about paying the day-to-day -day bills with that. So I like to make it really, really simple. You know, working in the corporate world for bigger brands and whatnot, a lot of times they're on net 90s, net 120s, and everyone complains about those. The biggest thing that I see is that they set those things in place to see if you can even afford to work with them. If right. you set terms with them up front, a lot of times they'll actually come to your terms and work with you if you already set a plan in motion. Instead of just guessing and hoping and wishing and saying, hopefully they read my contract, talk about that early on, set up some structure points, make that really easy for them to understand. And even when you're setting production, like I always say, I want this to be healthy. I want this to be affordable. So we're going to set the date on production and set a payment schedule together. Yep. Having it in the contract. I had learned that way too late in the contract, <laughs> the days that you're going to have it. And then knowing like, you know, I think Josh, you gave great examples of like, for, you know, client work deliverables for me, like 
my consulting calls, you pay me before we talk. So like literally you have to actually pay the full price before we have a conversation. And to Josh's point, I'm sure everyone can emphasize this. It's just kind of like you're setting the standard of, of your yeah. expertise and your level of what you're doing this. Uh, it's been seven years. I feel a little bit more confident than I would have year one doing something like that. But it's just it helps me because I don't like chasing people down. I've had plenty of times where once the number gets bigger, for some reason, things just start to get a little bit slower. But I started putting that in my contract. Uh, I take 50 percent deposits on everything first. And there's also late fees lined in. So if you don't communicate with me, if you don't tell me what's happening, all of this is in like little paragraphs like you can read it. It's not in the fine print. Everything is really laid out and clients are different depending on the kind of work. But yeah, I wish someone would have told me that from the beginning to like have all of this in your contract because I spent plenty of time chasing people down for money. Um, but once you once they know you're professional and you're serious, uh, they take you seriously. And, and I really don't experience as many issues. It still comes up, but the communication is definitely my solution if something like kind of comes up last minute. I. So I know Trent talked about this so much and this really kind of rings another bell for me in terms of establishing expectations and communication and and Tiff and Josh you're you're talking about this at the same time too it's like I think there there's multi layers to this establishing expectations uh, and communicating up front hey these are my terms right and then you both subtly were, were referencing this in terms of how professional do you seem right that level of understanding Look, I mean, there, there are so many uh, creatives in general, right? And this speaks to what I was talking about, of like real artist ship and all, all of those things. There are so many creatives that are just a flaky, uh, non-committal group of individuals. And I, to, as much as, that, as I begrudge that, that ideology, I really do understand that mentality. I don't support it. That's not my business, but I know how as a creative you can get there. But that's the that's separating the wheat from the chaff, right? Like if you continue to present yourself as somebody that they can't push around and take advantage of, even if their intentions are so pure, just the like the back and forth on like how you write an email, do you use proper grammar and punctuation? Do you like do you present yourself as a professional, as a commiserate professional in every way you walk? You know, I, I, I curse like a sailor. It's not, I don't, but, but I still like when the push comes to shove, like the way that you can turn it on and how you present yourself, it matters. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I'm talking to younger creators and like, you know, people, everything's like slide in my DM and hit me in my, like, that's cool. We can have that way of, of conversing, but there's always an opportunity for you to elevate your brand and for people to continue to take yourself seriously. And the more often you lean into uh, you know, it's, I got my contracts, right? I have my paragraphs and my contracts to your point, Tiff, nothing's in fine print. Um, but I also echo massive important things like what's the deposit look like? What are final deliverables? What are all, all that stuff's in my initial estimates and invoicing. So you're seeing it in the memo section, in the footers, you're also hitting it in the contract. You've got an initial when you're going through my DocuSign to see all those types of things and do, do things. This last year, I had a situation where it, I wasn't under a contract. We were just a working agreement and things got hairy, right? There's another reminder. So d nothing exists in a vacuum. I fall prey to that every once in a while too, especially as I level up in certain things, you get excited about stuff, but it's a slap on the wrist every single time. So to lead with your professionalism as often as possible, and the more you do that, 
again, the more the opportunities pour in, the more you get, the more elevated the clients are. You people are asking, why can't I get clients that have budgets and wanting to pay me? Well, what, what's your approach? What's your approach? And are you presenting yourself as a commiserate professional at the same time? I think there's a lot to be said where that stuff's concerned. And so directly like knocking on someone's door and, and you know, bitch bear, give me my money type of thing. Like, <laughs> obviously not, but it starts when a client's not paying, it starts with what your approach is, you know, it starts with your approach. You got to make it simple and easy. And I'll also say, you know, a lot of times the communication piece when a client hasn't paid me and I have to reach out to them and remind them, you know, in the past, they've been like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Yep. They actually want to be reminded. Knowing myself, mm -hmm. I hate talking about money. I hate reminding people. So like I even use Google Calendar. Once I create the invoice, I invite everyone who's who needs to actually pay that. And it sends an automated reminder to them. So I don't have to do any work at all upfront. What are the terms? When are the dates? Let me set all this let me put those invoices in there and i'll let google calendar do all the work for me and that ensures that i get paid on time then i don't have to be the guy who's a bill collector yep that's smart another thing i say too have someone help you if you're not good at it i was the worst at invoices the worst at follow-ups because i was like afraid to ask people for money i don't know that i don't know why but i was just like i don't want to bug them i don't want to make them feel bad yada 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 so I had my mom help me and become like my secretary for two weeks. And she literally went through all my invoices with me. She went through, this is when we're going to send it. This is where we do follow-ups. And, you know, she's an employee. She works for a company, but having someone else help me with that confidence that I deserve this, I did the work. It's okay to ask. Like that's part of being a part of this conversation and listening to us right now. It's like knowing that you are, you deserve to be paid for your efforts you're worth it. It is okay to ask and to remind them. And I'll say the worst story I ever had, this guy convinced himself that he paid me. I let him know like, Hey, this is due. He was like, no, it's, I have it. It's there already. I already sent it, all this stuff. And I didn't get upset. I didn't, this is the one thing is like, it's such a people business. Some people get burned by other creatives. Like Robert mentioned, like they might've had a bad experience in the past and they're taking out on you, whatever. I just calmly, we had a calm conversation. He's trying to tell me, I was like, listen, if you paid me, can you just show me the receipt? Because it's not coming in on my end. I don't see it. Just let me see it. If I see it, then I can figure out what happened on my end. He goes through his paperwork. He realizes it's not there. And he apologized to me over and over again. He was like, I'm so sorry. I, I, and you were so calm. And I appreciate that you didn't, like, you know, get upset or anything like that. And I was just like, to me, everyone is doing the best that they can. Sure. I'm doing the best that I can. You're doing the best that you can. If there's no re reason for us to argue or get upset, We'll, have, we'll figure it out together. It takes a lot of patience <laughs> to do that. But, you know, these situations do resolve. I never worked with him again because I also realized it's like he's not the kind of client that I want to work with. So when he came to me, I just was like, hey, there's someone else who might, you know, be able to work with you and all that stuff. And I referred people out. But, you know, it's okay to to have these back and forth, but just be patient. And like I said, if you need help with it, if you need someone to hold you accountable just for a couple of weeks so you can catch up on your books, reach out to someone that can support you with it too. Cause you don't have to necessarily have it all figured out by yourself. Yeah. Just another, the latest example of the importance of community and a network people yeah. that you can go to for these things that you can lean on that can support you and help assist you uh, through these situations. And you can chat with about this. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Are we ready to move on to the next question? Well, there's one. There's something I do. I mean, it's from the advertising side, but I get their the client's credit card number and put it in my PayPal account, and I run it every month. 
Hmm. And they know that and it's in the agreement. So smart. <laughs> when you have their card, you don't have to also worry about payment. And it tell it lets you know immediately if they trust you. Yep. If somebody won't give you their card and you're talking about especially when you're talking about long term work, it's like no, I just uh like okay now that's gonna uncover that's actually gonna reveal some deeper issues that we need to talk about you know what i mean because at least if you talk about it they might not they just like like i think you know what the other guys were even saying they just might not respect you and money usually determines somebody's level of respect for you uh or communicating the lack of payment you know what i mean like if it was their wife and you just locked her out of the bank account <laughs> they would be telling her what's going on you know what i mean it's just like so it's like if you don't like you need to respect me i can't work with somebody who doesn't respect me and believe i'm going to fulfill and if that's if that's how we're feeling now it's not even a thing but we either need to uncover a couple of things or you know maybe it's not the right right fit you're normally going to know within the first uh, the first payment how somebody's going to go as far as payments concerned. You know, the first time that you ever build them, you're going to know, especially if it's a client that you're looking to do a lot of jobs with, you're going to know within that first payment schedule how they're going to handle it. Um, and then you can pivot from there and make adjustments, you know, go ahead, like you said, like, uh, and get their credit card information if you know that in the future it could be difficult. Try and go ahead and do that. Um, you know, go ahead and send invoices sooner because you know if it's going to take them 30 days 60 days to turn it around go ahead and ship it sooner so a lot of times you're going to figure that out in the beginning with a client whether they're going to be responsible enough to pay on time um, fortunately for me i have a lot of clients that just pay on time which is great um, but then i do have folks that i know that it's probably going to take them longer i'm going to have to be on them a little bit more and you just you just learn that as you go um, and you just you set yourself up um, for success in those areas by just understanding which clients may need a little nudge, a little push. But like everybody else is saying, just treat everybody that you are working with with kindness and with grace and understand that accountants and folks like that um, have, you know, a lot of things to do. And especially during COVID, there's been even more things that they have to handle and do. So just treat people with kindness and understand that sometimes a little nudge is is not going to bother them. They actually need that little nudge just to remember that they need to push some buttons and get you paid. So moving on, in the creative world, there's always the risk of uh, running out of steam or, or burning out. And, and that's something that's fairly common amongst creatives. In fact, I, f I would feel that it's almost a rite of passage for many of us where we reach that <laughs> point where we have to burn out and recalibrate and really learn the hard way. Uh, so do, do you have any practical tips to, to share with our viewers on, on how to combat creative depression or this, this burnout? I think that's what we're doing here is building community. You have to have a form of community around you um, you know, whether that's two people, three people, four people, you know, a whole group of people, um, you need virtual community, but you also need, you need community in person. You know, you can't just try and expect to have virtual community and that just be everything for you. So like you have virtual plus in person community. And I know that's difficult right now, just with the current state of things, but, um, you need people to be able to work with. We, we, we have to stop worrying so much about other fellow creatives in our area being competition, you know? Uh, there are going to be people that we might try and build community with that are difficult to work with because they see you as competition, you know, and they're maybe standoffish where that's concerned. Um, and, 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 you know, if, if that's how they want to go about doing things, that's fine. You know, go find somebody else. But I promise you, they're going to be creatives. They're going to be filmmakers. They're going to be photographers. 
other people who are working kind of within, if they're not exactly filmmakers, you know, who are working within kind of the same area that you can at least sit down and get some drinks with, go have a meal with, get coffee. And like, that is just so important just to talk about like what we're talking about here, just talking about the struggles of, of being an entrepreneur, being a solopreneur, being a creative in this space. Um, so finding community is huge. Uh, another one thing, one for me is just activity. I normally feel the best when I am very active, you know, whether that's just going for a two mile run, maybe that's just having a 15 minute workout. Literally I turn around, get out of my desk, pick up some dumbbells and I do a 15 minute workout. It just like, just gets my whole body just feeling so much better. Um, and then just kind of another one that's huge is just, you really have to understand and really remember your purpose. Why are you doing this? Uh, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? If you're trying to live a lifestyle that's beyond the means of, of your business, you're going to have a lot of stress. Like if you're trying to live lavishly and you're not making a lot of money, you're going to feel burned out almost every single day because you're trying to match a lifestyle that you can't handle. Um, so, you know, so if you're trying to ride high, but your, your money is not looking good, that's going to be a, a massive area of burnout because you're just spinning your wheels like, well, I can't get the next client. I can't do this. I can't do this, but I've got to, you know, try and reach uh, this level of things. So you have to be careful that with like, what kind of lifestyle are you trying to live um, and really bring that down? Uh, if, if it's elevated, bring that down to a level that you can actually attain while you're working and building things up, you know, and just be really careful and be attentive to that. For me as a, as a husband and as a father, like that is my purpose right now is to take care of my family. Um, to be, be like, especially cause my wife's not working anymore, but to just take care of my family as well as I can. And that is such a huge purpose for me. So if you're single or if you have a spouse, you know, um, like just what is your purpose for being in this industry? Like, obviously there's more purposes there too. Like I love creative and I love filmmaking and I love just the artistry of all of it. You know, like that's what got me into it in the first place. But but what's your purpose there? And like, you have to remember those when you're feeling those moments of burnout, of when you're getting like, just like destroyed psychologically, is you have to return to your purpose. Like, why am I doing, there, there were times, years, a couple of years ago, luckily I've gotten in a better spot, but there were times years ago where I was like, I don't know that I need to be doing this anymore. I'm not sure if I can be doing this anymore. Like, and it was extremely difficult, but again, it came back to things like just getting active, you know, getting some dopamine going in my brain. Um, and then just remembering and, and, and sitting and thinking on why am I doing this anyways? What is my purpose in this industry? So those, those are just some of the things that I focus on um, that have really helped me just avoid those and just understanding that like burnout's going to happen. It's just going to happen. There's going to be seasons where you're burning out way more than other seasons. Um, and just know, again, it's a rite of passage. It's going to happen. Just keep pushing, keep pushing and just know that like, it's okay to take time for your safe. Sorry. It's, it's, it's okay to take time for yourself. It's okay to have your time to recharge and, and it's okay to, it's okay to take a nap. Like I had to tell myself that sometimes like, it's okay to just go to the couch and take a freaking nap. Like it'll make you feel better. It's okay to have those moments where you don't feel strong. If you don't feel strong, that's okay. Go freaking take a nap. Okay. Those are just some things. <laughs> I totally, I love what you're saying, man. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to back it up because I literally, I you just take copy paste what you said. And I'm going to add a couple different things, but my, I get asked this question quite a bit. Cause I, I literally teach younger creatives at, you know, early twenties type of thing, like late teens, early twenties. 
And so many of them just have this question of like, how, right? Like Tiff, when, when you were talking about the different elements of production and finding your lane, like I love that so much because that that is what a lot of what, what I do in terms of the music space is, you know, not just you can be an artist to perform, you know, those types of things. There's all this other stuff that's in there. So the the gigantic question is like, how do I do this? Like, is there a way for me to find a path in the creative space? And the conversation always goes to this place in some way, shape or form. The talent is never the line of demarcation towards success. If you have chosen to boldly pursue a creative life, you have to already have some form of talent. So what that means is persistence, dedication, and your work ethic are the things that determine whether or not you're going to be successful over the long term, right? So playing back to your point, both for Trent and to Caleb, like it is in a sense, a rite of passage. And to get to a place where you have earned the privilege of feeling like you have worked so hard that you're burnt out is in a very odd sense, and I, you couldn't just tell this to you know an accountant or something. That is a, that's a privilege, and it's something that, in an odd way, you should be proud of. I'm not condoning sleepless nights. I'm not. I'm, I'm saying work to a place where you can have structure around what your life looks like, so that that doesn't happen often. But to get to a place where that has happened to you is a privilege, right? Um, Doc Rivers is in a really great documentary series of, about coaches on Netflix. And he has this whole segment that I've played probably 50 times where he talks about the 2008 NBA championships that he won with the Celtics. And he says that pressure is a privilege. Hmm. And like, I just get chills every time I hear this pressure is a privilege. You've worked hard enough to earn this position. And so working to that place, it's inevitable that you're going to have that burnout, right? But how do you mitigate that as often as possible? I think back to your point, Trent, it comes down to routine, right? Caleb, we were talking about morning routines and how you start your day. Like that's a massive, massive component of just being centered and grounded. It gives me the opportunity to reflect on what my purpose is, Trent, to your point of, you know, same with me. And, and I know a couple of other on the call too. I'm a husband first, a father second. I need to be present. I need to be able to be happy and have a great smiling face and energy when I walk in the door, because if I don't, my little boys feel that in a very significant way. So dad's got to be turned on and be able to be dialed. But at the same time, I can tell him, hey, daddy's got a busy week, right? I'm, I'm speaking at an amazing conference. I've got jobs, I got stuff. We need to be able to have that communication, right? Um, I echo, you know, I, not only do I shoot in the fitness space, but I was an athlete as well. And so like movement is massive for me. And if I don't have meditation, gratitude, some type of cold plunge, and a pretty, you know, between 30 minutes to an hour worth of movement, I'm a monster. Like I am just not a nice person to deal with. Like this whole facade that I'm giving to you guys now, like just doesn't exist. So making sure that I create the structure and the routine, the communication with my family, with my clients to say, hey, this is what I've got going on, especially with my retainers. This is what I've got going on this week. Just let you know, I'm gonna be a little less responsive, but I'm still here for you. I just want you to know that I have these other things that I'm dealing with, but we're still gonna get our deadlines met. Um, you know, establishing expectations, creating routine, uh, and, and making sure that that communication, not just with your clients, but with your loved ones and with yourself uh, is, is paramount, right? Hmm. And if you do that, you start to recognize more and more often that you're creeping up on potential burnout, 
right? I think that COVID related burnout is one thing because I know I've definitely experienced that on, on like a weekly basis of just having to always be on. But creative burnout, I think we can get to a place of once we've experienced it once or twice, we can go and look at our calendar and preemptively say, hey, if I don't do X, Y, Z, uh, it's gonna be to a place where I, I need to turn off uh, and, and hit the eject button for a little bit so that I can be present for all of the other responsibilities that I have and the legacy that I want to leave, you know? Right. I love that. Um, I would continue off of that. Like, I think it sucks when I've met every creator, like we've had just the burnout moment that like we overcome. And I wish, I really wish people didn't have to go through it because I would never wish my burnout and what I went through on anybody else. But I do think that there's something to separate, separating your work from your worthiness. Mm -hmm. If you are overbooking yourself, you're overpromising, you're, you're, you're overcompensating for something. And I had to realize that I was, I mean, I was a straight A student in high school. Like I was, you know, an athlete. I was just like, I, I was always trying to prove myself. So when I was starting to burn out in my adult life, I'm like, who am I trying to prove myself to by overworking, not sleeping? And uh, this book I love by Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. This is a quote that I love. Uh, no matter what gets done or what is left undone, I am enough. And that's when the beat the sun and starting the day with the win. I had to take away my resume and the work that I was doing and the views that I was getting from my value as a person. So if you are finding yourself that you keep coming to this wall, you keep like uh, Robert saying, like it's just repeating a lot. Then I would say like you get to find a place of 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 your happiness and figure out if the work that you're doing is really providing you, ha like, are you happy in this lifestyle or is there something you're overcompensating for? Is there something you need to take a break from? Is there a way to work in breaks? This is the first year that like Wednesdays are my days off actually, even though today's Wednesday, I have no agenda on Wednesdays. So I have a full agenda. I have my calls and everything scheduled for every other day of the week. I like to work on weekends because everyone's not working. So I love uninterrupted work with no text messages and emails and stuff coming through. But Wednesdays with no agenda, I have the opportunity. If I want to speak, awesome. If I want to just relax today, great. But uh, a big thing I learned from running that marathon, most of your time is spent on recovery. Mm. You're always thinking about how you're going to be able to recover to go for the next day because you can't run so many miles without hydrating properly, without stretching properly. Mm. Like you can't really survive that way. So that's just my my tippet that I like to say, figure out a way to separate your work from your worthiness, figure out a way to find happiness and joy outside of the creativity that you do. And you are not your resume, you are not your profile, you're not your website, you are not the followers and the likes, you are a value just from the being a person and your work is valued in a separate, it's a different category. Um, but I echo everything everyone said here, a routine is great, starting your day with the win is great, but yeah separating the work from the from the from your worthiness that's my number one tip and that is where we are going to have to close it for today as we close in on our five o'clock i want to thank you all all of you speakers amazing presentations so much good information and for all of you viewers out there some of the biggest takeaways communication build trust with your clients the power of mentorship and network and support, 
that is what we are building here at the video community if any of these mentor partner mentors resonated with you go to our website take a look schedule a free coaching call with them they are here to help you when one filmmaker wins we all win we love you all stay safe and we will see you next time thank you for listening to this episode of the ambitious filmmaker Have something you want us to talk about? Interested in chatting with like-minded filmmakers? Join the conversation over at our free Facebook group and subscribe to our Instagram. Just search the video community. We'll see you next time. And remember, always be creating.